Hey everyone, I'm Parker Samuelson. And I'm Kate Gardner. And this is the Ascendance Podcast, featuring descendants of successful families ascending into their own identity and impact. Each episode, we'll introduce you to a guest who will share their family legacy and their next-gen narrative. We hope that you're inspired and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Ascendance Podcast. It is such a joy to be with you all again and to welcome our good friend Taylor Adams onto the show. Taylor is an investment entrepreneur and growth magnifier who discovered a passion for combining entrepreneurship with investment and philanthropic strategies while working within his family office as a fifth generation family member. He founded a venture capital firm and a foundation that incubates nonprofit initiatives. Taylor combined his hands-on experience and fifth-generation legacy business training to create education and coaching programs that nurture next-generation leadership capital, a new organization that is um, really exciting how it's merging, and um, that helps support peers as they navigate a path to self-actualization and multi-generational success. Taylor, it's such an honor to have you with us today. Kate, thanks so much. You're the best. I appreciate being here and uh, excited to, to share my story. Great. Awesome. Thanks so much for the intro there, Kate. Uh, we're excited to be chatting with Taylor here. So Taylor, tell us about growing up in the Adams family. Tell us about the, the legacy there and some of the values that were instilled in you and what it was like growing up. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, when I was young, I wasn't really you know aware of of the family legacy from a business standpoint, I, I, I learned that probably in uh, in my mid mid teenage years. But but to give you guys an idea of uh, the family background, so I'm a I'm a fifth generation family member, I guess technically, but um, I you know operate as as Gen two because um, my father uh, was was an entrepreneur and value creator in his own right. But going back to my, I think it's my great, great grandfather. It's either great, great or great, great, great. Uh, but what does it matter really? Right. <laughs> um, so he was in the mortgage lending business, um, and built what became the, the mar- largest mortgage lender and, and servicer west of the Mississippi. And, and then it became the largest company in California to emerge out of the great depression. And then that business was sold in the 50s to another Los Angeles family called the Hoffman family. Um, and we formalized a family office. My grandfather formalized a family office in 1962. Um, and my grandfather was an entrepreneur in his own right. He was a real estate developer. So he developed office towers in downtown LA and also developed um, industrial real estate throughout Southern California. Um, some, some real estate that we actually still even have today. My father, he actually also developed uh, a, a ski resort called Mount Baldy. That's um, about an hour and a half outside of LA. So my, my family, we're all pretty, pretty avid skiers. Um, I live in Park City, Utah now and uh, enjoy being able to hit the slopes outside of my office. And so my father started working for my grandfather, I believe when he was 19 years old, at the very bottom of the totem pole. I think his first job was was cleaning toilets in an office building, but but worked his way up through the organization, you know, doing um, office leasing and eventually stepping into a lot of family office functions around estate planning. Um, And then in the mid 80s, my father started his own investment and management firm that focuses on multifamily real estate, so apartment communities. 
Um, he did that with a few other partners. Um, and that business in its own right grew to be pretty significant um, and is kind of the the bread and butter of our, our family's current, current holdings. So growing up um, back from my earliest memories, I, I think I was aware that we were in a business family. Um, I was, I'm the youngest of six kids um, and I'm kind of the, the accident or surprise, depending on which way you want to look at it. Uh, the closest siblings to me are eight years older. So I not only observed my father within uh, the context of doing business with his, his father, I also got to observe my siblings uh, doing business with my dad. And most of my siblings do work within the within the the family business. Um, granted, they they built their own capabilities and businesses, but you know it's interesting things things just are interconnected because there's unique capabilities involved. And I myself have always been entrepreneurial. I probably didn't know that's what it was back in the day, but yeah, I had this uh, imaginary land called Couscous, and I'd go there and build things. I I was a real estate developer. I was I was a mayor of Couscous. I and a helicopter and six dogs. And I, I created like really vivid memories inside this place. Um, and I, I've always been just kind of a dreamer in that regard. You know, in, in high school, those started to manifest themselves as as ideas for businesses. Granted, not many of them were what I would what I would think of as good ideas um, these days. Uh, but I was I, I had an irrational compulsion to just kind of identify and solve problems that I saw. And that was just that was how I grew up. I became more aware of, you know, that that it was it was unique when around like, I think I was 15 years old. Um, our family office built a direct private equity practice, and we started acquiring, you know, smaller manufacturing companies. And one of the first ones that we acquired was was an aftermarket automotive company, and that company uh, had a bunch of cars that they souped up, and oftentimes like those cars weren't all being used. So rather than, you know, asking for a first car, I was just like, no, I'm good. I'll just use whatever's lying around. Mm -hmm. Knowing, knowing, you know, fully that the cars that were lying around were pretty awesome. And so, so that was my first kind of awareness that there was, there were like really cool capabilities that, uh, you know, and, and that our, our, the business ecosystem that we had through our family office was essentially an entrepreneurial playground or um, sandbox to play in. Mm -hmm. um, it was also the time when it when I became aware that that entrepreneurship and businesses carry significance with it. And I started to get attached to that significance and what that meant about me and my family. Um, so it's it marked the beginning of a time when, you know, I became aware of the the lesser character traits where you can you can be pretentious and be boastful without even being really aware of it. Um, and I, I remember just internally having this need for significance, especially being around people that have done significant things and growing up in communities and going to schools where there were a lot of significant personalities. Um, I wanted to be accepted and I wanted the environment to reflect back that I belonged and that I had value. Um, so, so this desire for, for significance definitely, definitely started there. And, and I just, I, I knew I wanted to build things. So that, that was, uh, that was, that's the family background and, and, you know, what it was like, like growing up and, you know, things have definitely happened and changed along the way. Yeah. That's so inspiring, Taylor. A couple of things that, um, stick out to me first, just how well, you know, your 
five generational family narrative. I mean, I think that's a great example to our listeners of spending time really getting to know, especially if there are, you know, a significant amount of generations that have come before and, and whether it's to build wealth or whether it's just to develop values and mindsets. That is so cool that you um, have inhabited um, that, that backdrop in a um, intellectual as well as uh, a kind of mindset capacity. I loved what you were just saying too about significance. And I think that's something that um, other next gens will, will understand as well. If, if there is, you know, a sense that those who've gone before us have done big things, you know, that can be both a, um, a blessing as, as, uh, and, and a burden of, of kind of where, where do you fit in that? And I'd actually love on that point too, to ask, were there any moments where you felt perhaps less significant or, or you, you wrestled more so with every day, um, every day. Well, yeah, for all of us. Right. But I guess no, I mean, you, that, you yeah. speak with such confidence. So I, I wonder if there kind of what, if, if there was a, an emotional um, more journey for you growing up of getting to that place of knowing kind of who you were. Yeah. I mean, I, I might present uh, with a lot of confidence and I do, I do think I have, I, I have reached a level where there, there is, authentic confidence that's that's fueled by just really self-efficacy and the things that I've done but but uh, also under the surface I have crippling imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and and that was definitely the case growing up you know I, I because I've been an entrepreneurial dreamer um, and, and always had my head in the clouds I was a horrible student and I was a horrible student in at really good schools and so it, it's definitely the the small fish in a, in a big pond kind of thing um, and so that, that made me definitely feel less than, which, which in a way fueled the needs, need for significance or even relevance in just any areas of my life. And so I did attach to significance and relevance in the, in the, in the business domain and like embracing a personality and view as a contrarian. Um, and that, that is a double-edged sword because I think Early on, let's say in my late teens and early twenties, it it manifested itself as kind of arrogance and showmanship. Um, whereas, and, and that's totally counter to my to my to our family va values. Um, our family values are are really based on service and value creation. I remember my, my father would always say, "I mean, there's a lot of really good one-liners that I keep with me, but one one of them was, you know, if you want to make a million dollars, then help a million people." And he really like brought it home that 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 business um, and capitalism and free market at large is 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 about value creation and improving the lives of others. And the byproduct of that just happens to be be um, wealth. And um, so you know my 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 first the first chapter of my my professional journey was fueled by this this need for significance and jumping around trying to figure out who am I, what am I here to do. And where do I fit into all of this? Um, I think a lot of times, you know, next gens, you know, it, it might appear from the outside that that you know you have endless opportunities, but I can tell you in practice it doesn't feel that way because you know uh, one I always assumed that I would I would I would work with within the family because that's just what we do it's part of our culture, um, and then but when doing that I found like. It, it, in application, it looked like Taylor is doing the rounds and and sitting in different chairs that already exist and were created before he was ever really born. Mm -hmm. And none of those chairs felt meaningful or authentic. Mm -hmm. um, and so my my twenties were my early twenties were were really uncertain and painful. And it felt like 
you know, I wasn't, I wasn't living the life that I was supposed to. And so it, it, it started with, with me, you know, out of college joining different groups within our, within our office. Um, the first group I, I joined was, was the, the direct private equity group that's, that was started when I was, you know, around 15. And, um, it was incredible operational experience because I, I got to, to drop into a lot of different operating businesses and get that kind of experience. But it was also pretty, pretty miserable because you're dropping into companies that are somewhat in turmoil. Um, it was a, it was a distressed private equity strategy. So these companies were, were going through a lot. Um, and then, you know, dropping in as a young, young kid with the last name that matched the acquirer and then, you know, getting to know that business and the people that, that already worked there is just really awkward, but in hindsight, super grateful for the experience. Um, cause I learned so much. Then I, uh, went into the real estate side, which was our family's bread and butter, um, both on investment teams and on, on property management teams, um, learning the ins and outs of that business. Thankfully, most of the real estate is outside of, of California. And, um, and I was able to be anonymous at, at the, the, at the property management level, because I have a, I have a common last name. Um, eventually people would figure it out, but at one point, you know, it, it, it took almost a year for that to happen. And then I, I, you know, spent another chapter in my early twenties working internally in, in the office and that's supposed to be like a graduation. And I, I thought it, it felt like a demotion because, um, you know, family offices, they're, they're all structured differently, but I think generally they can be viewed as, as in a way as glorified accounting and, and administrative and business management firms. Um, so I remember like the, the culmination of my, uh, my experience with that was, was, you know, sitting in an office and doing trust fund administration for my cousins. Now, if you want to have a meaningless experience, try, try doing that. Like mm -hmm. I was like, what, like what value is being created in this? Why am I doing this? And, um, and it was, it was, you know, it, it might sound petty, but it was, it was painful. I, I, I felt um, this can't be what it's about. Like this can't be what my life is supposed to be about. I, I'm meant to do more. I want to do more. And so through my 20s, I'll, I'll be transparent and say like I, I experienced a lot. I experienced depression. I experienced anxiety, uncertainty, and really just you know that stems from the question of what am I what am I going to do with my life and what is my life going to be about? Which I think I think is a pretty common theme for everybody. In, in humanity, but I think uh, next gens is uh, especially it, it. It just might be magnified for, by some factors: expectations of yourself, expectations of others, and then and then trying to trying to reconcile how how you fit into stuff that's already been there for multiple generations. That's it's it's challenging. So I transparently I, I medicated that 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 pain and uncertainty with with alcohol. And, um, at a point in my twenties, I, I realized that, that, you know, the trajectory that my life was on never intersected with the life that I wanted, um, and knew that I, I deserved. And, um, I, it became clear that if, if nothing was going to change, then nothing would change. And so I, I wanted my life to change. And, and the most tangible thing to change was, was, uh, the drinking, um, as a first step. And so I made a decision to get sober. That opened up my world because I discovered um, the power of recovery, discovered the power of, of life coaching, discovered discovered the power of being of service and helping other people on their journey. Starting with, with you know, helping other people to to achieve sobriety, but that that has since rippled into many dimensions and many domains. Concurrent to that, that's when I 
I, I decided to kind of step out of the family business. And at the time it felt like I was turning my back on, on my legacy. Um, but I was actually embracing my own journey and, and in hindsight, it's been incredibly valuable for the family legacy as well. Taylor, thank you so much for the, um, the openness and transparency there. We, we really value you telling your story that leads into a question Peyton and I are wondering is, so how, how did all of that play into your decision to transition into the work you're doing now? Um, if you could tell us about the venture capital group that you're running and, yeah. um, and what it was like transitioning from the family company. Well, uh, Throughout my 20s, I was entrepreneurial. I, you know, I started my first tech startup when I was an undergrad at USC. And then throughout, throughout my 20s, the time, the time that I was working within the family, I was also moonlighting as an entrepreneur and co-founding and advising a number of different startups. Um, so I was always magnetically drawn to that. Um, and then around you know, 2012, I decided to pivot fully into tech and entrepreneurship co-founded a number of, of companies that are, that are in the, in the domain of personal development and coaching. Um, so developed a, you know, a coach, coach training company, um, did, did corporate consulting, um, around coaching and, um, and then went into tech even deeper when I realized there were skill gaps there. Uh, so I learned how to code, got trained as a product manager, and then ended up spending a year at a, at a Los Angeles based, um, incubator. And that's where I got the lay of the land for the, for the Los Angeles venture capital ecosystem. I was leading on business development and product strategy at the incubator, and I was helping a handful of companies raise seed capital. And at one point I was like, these companies are awesome. Like I want to invest in these companies. And, and I, uh, I figured out if I, I actually had the capacity to do that and realized that something I wanted to do. And I naively decided to start my own venture fund. The, the fund itself was, was seeded with, with some money from the office, but we have a, we have a rule that if the office is going to support family members financially in an investment capacity, that that person also needs to, to raise outside capital in a, in a matching function, which I think is a really, really powerful tool because um, it really it provides that external validation and smell test to make sure that you're not actually doing something that's stupid. So I, um, I started my first venture fund, started managing that. Um, deploying capital. Uh, thankfully, that's that fund is is doing really well, and things have worked out there. And um, and I built a team around myself. And then in the process of raising my second fund, decided to really embrace my background as as a family member that's involved in a family office. Uh, you know, previous to that, I really not something I brought up or shared. I, I, I and it goes back to wanting to be of significance. Like I, I wanted to build something in my own right, um, and I wanted people to accept me as more than, than somebody who grew up in privilege. Um, but I started em embracing it and I started networking with other family offices and having lots of conversations about uh, venture capital um, with family offices. I learned that their, that their venture ambition went beyond writing LP checks into funds. They actually wanted to deploy their own direct strategies. And oftentimes it was motivated by a next gen like myself who was, who was coming into professional age and, and, and was attracted to venture capital. And this kind of gave me a real epiphany that one, like there's other tailors out there um, that come from, from, you know, cool and, and powerful family legacies who have a desire to do things their own way and build their own capabilities. And that are also magnetically drawn to venture capital and how exciting it is. Um, and so in, after doing some reflection um, and I was, it was three days before I was supposed to have the initial close on my second fund. I realized there was actually a really powerful opportunity ahead of me um, to, to help some of those family offices and next gens 
to establish their own professional identity in the domain of venture capital. So pivoted and started a, a venture platform. Um, I shouldn't say start, I just I pivoted the platform, same team, to focus on, on building bespoke thematic venture micro uh, venture funds in partnership with family offices that really leverage their, their background, domain expertise, core capabilities and established networks to, to, to create differentiated uh, investment platforms. Been doing that for a number of years. Um, and that's brought me into kind of like a, a new a new domain and a new identity and started working with a lot of, of next generation leaders and then started to reflect on my own journey growing up within the context of a, uh, a, a family office and the areas in which things could be improved, things like like uh, trust fund administration and um, and how we deploy internship programming for next generation leaders. And so now I've, I've uh, become a thought leader of sorts in, uh, in that domain and, and enjoy doing a lot of talks around this stuff and just like this podcast. I love Taylor, how you've really honed in on how all of the pieces of your drive and your experience fit together and kind of finding that sweet spot. I think that's, that's some language and themes of, of uh, this podcast as well as kind of where, where does everything fit? And it seems like you've, you've identified that and, and that that's uh, uh, kind of a tree that continues to uh, sprout branches and leaves um, in different areas as well. And we'd love to give you a chance to share about leadership capital. Yeah. So what I realized is that, that in a family office context and a next-gen context, there, there's a few different buckets where, where you have opportunities to kind of manifest visions. There's one bucket is, is investment capital bucket and, and what, what value you can create there. Then there's a philanthropic bucket and you know what, who you can help and the organizations you can collaborate with on that side. And then there's the more personal bucket. It's really around developing your own perspective on, on your professional identity and, and how you actually make a contribution through your own behavior. And um, that third bucket is, is, is what, I, what I refer to as, as leadership capital. But what I realized is that while a lot of people compartmentalize those three buckets and think they're separate areas, the most, the most power is achieved when you actually find integrated strategies that combine all three. So if you think about a Venn diagram and you have investment capital, you have philanthropic capital and you have leadership capital, the ideal is when, when those three things come together and you find... Um, strategies for for integrating them where where truly powerful things happen so when you intersect leadership capital with investment capital what what you end up with is investment entrepreneurship creating new new investment strategies and new investment products um, that could really create value when you overlap leadership capital and philanthropic capital you have social entrepreneurship and and creating new philanthropic ideas or, or or programs and then when you intersect investment capital and philanthropic capital, what you really have is, is value creation and social impact. Um, and if you can combine all three of those buckets, I, I think what exists there is, is this idea of, of self-actualization and mutual benefit, where the behaviors that you're, that you're practicing are having impact in multiple domains, not only for your own professional identity and track record, but also um, with philanthropic causes and with the bottom line of, of, of the family capital that you may or may not be stewarding. And so I think there's a lot of content, a lot of ideas, a lot of ways to empower other next generation leaders to, to maybe chart a third course rather than you know them taking a, a, an approach of, oh, I need to go outside of the family and 
build a professional, you know, track record outside of it and do more of the, the corporate dance. Um, there's that track. There's also the track of like, all right, I need to fight my way through the social and professional hierarchy within our family and sit in lots of different chairs that have always, that have been there before me. And they aren't, they aren't really my chairs. I think there's a third line. That's kind of a hybrid to it where you're building your own capabilities adjacent to what already exists. And those capabilities have a role in defining what the future vision and future legacy of that office, or that family business ends up being. So um, leadership capital is a, is a philosophical framework and methodology for helping next generation leaders discover their meaning and purpose in life and achieve self-actualization or at least progress towards self-actualization. Um, and it can, it's going to manifest itself in a lot of different, different forms. There, there will be a, a next gen, uh, group called leadership capital, where the whole idea is that it's a high vibration fellowship of next generation leaders who support each other in overcoming common obstacles and navigating a path towards self-actualization. Thanks for sharing that Taylor. I have one question for you, just more on your business side, just for our listeners that'll be interested in the kind of investing that you're doing into startups and venture capital. What, what are kind of some of the ideal companies that you're looking for? Like what are, what are the groups that are the unicorns that you're hunting? Yeah. I mean, I could talk about different kind of technology themes and sectors, but um, it might, might be easier to, or more beneficial to zoom out and just talk about venture capital in general and how family offices typically do it. Um, so it's important, important to note that venture capital is an asset class where, where alpha, which means like really good returns are only generated in the top quartile of venture funds. And so if you're not in that top quartile from a performance standpoint, you're just not generating good returns. And it's actually really, it creates a really easy litmus test to understand if you're doing it right. So the question is, am I co-investing with top quartile venture funds? And that's easy, pretty easy to check. And what I find that oftentimes is that family offices tend to not be because those, those top quartile or even top decile deals happen behind the scenes and, and family offices never even get that deal flow. We get, family offices typically get adverse selection where we're getting, we're getting to see deals that everybody else has passed on already. And so when, when working with a family office and even in the next gen, um, it's really important for us to figure out how to engineer um, both a, a brand identity, but, but a, a programmatic approach where one, we have complete coverage of all the deals that, that we can, that we want to see, meaning if it falls within our investment uh, mandate, we want to see it. So that's coverage. And the second part is access. If we see it, can we actually win the deal and get into it? Um, and that's a very, you know, a sophisticated thing to build. And the, the way we do it is, is we first, we first start off with a question of why you, or why this family office, why should you do venture capital and what type of venture capital should you do? Uh, because I don't think there's any room anymore for, for generalist investors. Um, and so we run really, really deep thesis um, development exercises where we explore the family background, the domain expertise, the story, the unique capabilities that can be productized into value add for portfolio companies, and then the nature of the, the networks uh, within that family that already exists. And then we'll create a first version of an investment thesis, a thematic investment thesis, um, and then we'll we'll kind of we'll do an exercise that we call ecosystem mapping, where we'll map out the deal flow channels, identify the top investors within that thematic uh, vein, and and really visualize the deal flow channels. We'll go as far as to create 
a mock portfolio that answers the question, if we existed uh, you know, two years ago or five years ago, which companies would we have wanted to invest in? And once we have that ideal you know, uh, mock portfolio, we can figure out all right, who are the other venture firms that led those financings and how do we engineer access into their deal flow channels and how do we collaborate with them and do deals with them? It might not sound as exciting as me talking about you know, future technologies that are gonna change the world, um, but the reality is, is that first you have to get get into get onto the right field, and then you can start doing that. But um, yeah, once once you you create a, a, an established a, a venture firm uh, that has a really refined thematic um, thesis, and you're collaborating with the best investors in the world, then you can start to have be a conviction investor where you're like, I am investing in this space company because it's going to change everything and it's awesome. And this founder is the smartest person ever. And we're having so much fun together. But like, this, this is like the best job in the world, honestly. I love that, Taylor. And your passion just is so, so obvious as well as your, your thoughtfulness. And I could imagine some of our listeners wanting to maybe go through that process one day or, or explore that. Um, can I ask, is there a way that people could get in touch with you if, if what you just shared is something that they they and their family office might want to look at? Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you can email me. It's it's taylor at belief.vc, B-E-L-I-E-F dot V-C. Perfect. Thank you for that. And last question would just be um, any parting advice to other next gens? Anything looking back on your own story that you have done an incredible job of processing and, and being able to present, um, but just especially probably for our young adults, um, what, what, what would you like to leave as some parting words? Yeah, I, I think uh, this idea that not all who wander are lost and it's really hard to, to screw up in your 20s. And I just, I would encourage people to really explore and give yourself the freedom to move around and try different things because in, every, in everything you try and in everything you fail at doing, you're gaining newfound context. And that context inevitably will become relevant to you when you do discover what it is you were you were born here to do. And so it, I guess the, the, the takeaway is that that success is not a linear journey. For some people it, it might be, but I think for the for the people that want to change the world and create new things and and really have an impact, it's never linear. Success is not linear. You're gonna go through lots of lots of ups and downs and mixes and swirls. And it might look like, man, you're just a, a dabbler and moving all over the place. But um, once you discover that thing that, that really drives you and gives you meaning and purpose, um, you'll be empowered to really, really excel at it. That's beautiful. So well said. Well, thank you so much, um, Taylor, again, for just a deeply powerful time yeah. together. I think, um, our listeners, and I know I'm sure Parker and I are going to be chewing on um, things you've said for a while to come. So um, thank you for your time and uh, being so open with with your journey as well. And we are uh, so excited about um, Ascendance and where this podcast will continue to go. Thanks to everyone for listening in today and see you next time. 